be there and has some notes in it and appreciate that as you follow along with that and add your comments. Make sure you save the event so that you can look at it later after worship is over. So wildfires. We know about them. We've seen them. We've seen devastating pictures out of California year after year, other places, including our own wildfire that happened at Gatlinburg several years ago now, which was completely a shock. Thousands of acres destroyed every year. Firefighters desperately trying to save houses and hospitals and schools and livestock and lives. And fire certainly is a terrible thing when it involves the burning of homes and the loss of human and animal life. The loss of vast natural resources and the pollution of the land and the water and the air. And even a little fire in the wrong place at the wrong time can cause a great deal of trauma. For example, napkins that might catch fire during a worship service sometime. You notice there's no napkins anywhere near the candles. Or there's the the spot of eternity here where I put down the light during transfiguration one year and I laid it down on the glass and it burned a hole in the carpet right there. But we also know that fire can be a very good thing. As human beings, we would never be able to live if it weren't for fire. We need fire for warmth, for light, for power. When the power goes out in the ice storm or in that summer storm, what do we do? We go and try to find the only candle in our house that maybe might light or that oil lamp that we keep just right there with enough oil in it so that you can be able to do, do that and pretend like you're back in the olden days again. Or we, if it's in the winter and you don't have any heat and you have a fireplace, what do you do? You turn it on or you put the wood in it. See, that's, that's, that's the good and necessary image of fire. It's associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. This kind of flame, this kind of sense of things. And it is the day we see Christians catching on fire. Brian, the video. So no, it's not literally like this. not like a bunch of birthday candles all sitting around and have the flames on them. 
This is why it says like. It was like that. But instead, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit as fire. And this fire comes to them through some very different ways and is expressed in different ways too, each one of them, into us. And we find all of this in Acts 2 when we first see the catching of fire that's on their heads. You see, Acts chapter 2 is the classical biblical story of Christians catching on fire. See, the twelve apostles and many other believers were gathered together in Jerusalem waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And just ten days before and last week for us, Jesus had ascended into heaven. But He promised to them the Holy Spirit would come upon them with power to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they were there waiting and praying. And I think both of those are really important at the same time. And suddenly, from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. One year we actually brought in fans, and we had fans that went out across everywhere to try to to think about that. There are huge fans outside right now under the tent. But imagine, imagine, the CEB says the, the howling of a fierce wind. The message says a strong gale force wind. You ever experienced something like that? A strong gale force wind, a hurricane, a tropical storm, straight line winds. I was on my back deck a couple of weeks ago when that front came through. I thought I had some minutes to get my umbrella down and everything. And I looked over on the other side of the road and the bottom dropped out. And I thought I still had about a minute. I had two seconds. We got two inches of rain in ten seconds. It was a downpour. It was that thing that happened. And I was like, what, what just happened? And the wind just hit you and you're like... It was that kind of thing. It was that kind of violent wind. And then verse 3 tells us they saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. And most often artists have depicted the Pentecost phenomena with flames atop the disciples' heads. Or like we saw in the video. Kind of like birthday candle cake, candles lit. Others look more like lightning striking the disciples which would make a lot of sense if it was a violent wind, if it was a stormy day, if it was the the whole wind and, and storm kind of thing. Whatever it looked like, Pentecost, that day was an amazing day. And we don't seem to understand how, but, but how, somehow the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the miraculous ability to speak in the native language of all the tourists who were visiting Jerusalem during the festival. This is not speaking in tongues as a gift given by the Holy Spirit. Make sure you understand that. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about actual earthly languages they could speak to others. And the interesting part about that is that if you trace the languages and their countries, and you look at the whole list of them and you plot them on a map, they would go to the ends of the known earth. 
And then through one-on-one witnessing and powerful preaching by Peter, the message of Jesus was communicated and thousands of people came to believe. And before the day was over, the Christian church was born. It's the birthday of the church. And so Heads on Fire is a great image for Pentecost even today. For a number of years, the Adamathist denomination had a motto of open hearts, open minds, open doors. And that motto reminds me that we are a people whose minds are open and willing to learn new things. It's why we also have robes. The robe that I would wear like in the 11 o'clock service is an academic robe to show the fact that the mind is a part of who we are spiritually. And our minds are not closed to God's miraculous working in the world. God can do things that we have no idea how God does them. But God does. Heads on fire means a willingness to speak in whatever new languages are needed to reach people who otherwise might not hear the good news message of Jesus. Where that language is English or Spanish or American Sign Language or teenage talk or computer high-tech God wants us to set our hearts on fire with miraculous power so that we can tell the story of Jesus to those who need to hear it in the way they need to hear it the most. Amen? Not our language. Whatever the language is of those who need to hear it. That's what happened on Pentecost. And the disciples were opening their minds to new possibilities and they were catching on fire literally in their heads. Second, Pentecost is about catching fire in our hearts. Say hearts. Make sure you're still out there. Hearts. Very good. You at home, say hearts. Okay. Catching our heads on fire isn't always enough though. Our Methodist founder, John Wesley, found it the hard way. He was born in England in 1703. His father was a priest in the Church of England. John grew up in a very religious family. When he and his brother Charles were students at Oxford, they were so religious, in fact, that the fellow students made fun of them and they called them derisive names like Bible moths. And because of John and Charles' methodical faithfulness to their religious disciplines, the name of mockery that finally stuck the most was, what do you think? Methodists. We are called Methodists by a group of college students making fun of John and Charles. Not a term of endearment. After John Wesley graduated from Oxford, he was ordained a Church of England priest, sent on a missionary journey across the Atlantic Ocean to the savage land of the English colony of Georgia. And while he's in Georgia, unfortunately, his two-part ministry to the English colonists and to the indigenous people that are there was not very successful. And Sophia Hopke will be a name that will always be remembered by John Wesley when he refused to serve her communion. John felt like a failure. So Wesley went back home to London and he worried about the state of his soul and what he was even doing in the world. I love John Wesley because he was a total loser. At least he felt that way. 
He's not all put together. He didn't have it all figured out. Fortunately, though, John had some friends who helped him out, the Moravians. The Moravians were actually the ones who got John Wesley where he needed to be. He had actually listened to them on the ship going across the ocean when in the midst of a terrible storm and John is hiding under his bed worrying about his death. The Moravians were on top of the deck praising God and worshiping. And John would ask, how could they possibly do that? And that's what led him to go to this Bible study at someone's house on Aldersgate Street, actually on May 24th. This is Aldersgate in England. Which is when? Tomorrow. Aldersgate Day. There on Aldersgate Street, John heard a new teaching. It wasn't really new, but he heard it as if it was new for the first time. For the first time as they were reading the preface to Romans written by Martin Luther, John Wesley really understood his salvation didn't come through the diligence and success of his own actions. That he could be a total failure in the world and God would still love him and accept him. It was mind-blowing through him, through the redeeming grace of God. It changed who he was. For the first time, John knew in his heart that God's love was for him, even him, no matter what he did or didn't do, no matter how he failed or succeeded. And that night, May 24, 1738, John wrote in his journal that he felt his heart, what? Strangely warmed. Which is probably completely enthusiastic for John Wesley. Strangely warmed. And this heartwarming experience changed John Wesley's outlook and his ministry. And finally, assured of his own salvation, Wesley charged ahead and established the Methodist movement along with his brother Charles, who actually had his Aldersgate moment three days before. That gets lost in the history. I like this little joke. Charles never gets the credit he deserves. John always gets all of the news. For without Charles, John couldn't have done what he did. And John becomes one of the most successful ministers of all time. And of course, Charles writes literally thousands of hymns, including hymns that we sing all the time and other denominations do as well. For John Wesley, catching on fire meant going beyond the knowledge and the rules in his head and allowing God to set his heart on fire, you see. That's another part of what the Holy Spirit does and what it means to catch fire. To set our heart on fire as well as our head. See, heart on fire is a good image for us today also. We even heard it in one of our songs or more than one of our songs. Like John Wesley, we sometimes get so hung up what we're supposed to know or do and we feel like spiritual failures. But the good news is we don't have to be prisoners to our sins and our doubts. Amen? How we fail is not who makes us who we are. We don't have to be captive to our fears, our spiritual inadequacies. With hearts warmed by God's grace, we know the good news is not about us knowing and doing everything right. You see, the good news is about Jesus who did everything perfectly in our behalf for us. And the most important thing we can do now is allow ourselves to be loved. Because the miracle of Pentecost is catching on fire in our hearts. 
and believing in the power of God even when we don't believe in ourselves. Because God can do so much more than we can do or ever thought about doing. You see, third, Pentecost is about catching fire in our bellies. First, it's in our heads, say heads. Then it's in our hearts, say hearts. Now it's in our bellies, say bellies. Belly's a weird word. It's a weird word. It's, just, it's a weird word. It's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Fire in our heads gives us knowledge and skills for communication. Fire in our hearts assures us of our spiritual salvation. But there's one more thing that is needed. And that is fire in our bellies. And I don't mean the kind of fire you get eating Mexican food in your belly. It's a lot more than that. Fire in our bellies. Talk about how the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples at Pentecost. Gave them the gift of power and courage and determination. I mean, since Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, disciples have been afraid. Some of that fear had eased at Jesus' resurrection and when He appeared to them. And now 50 days later, Pentecost, 50, they were feeling a little more confident But still, what would happen when they spoke out and drew attention to themselves? Would the Jewish leaders arrest them? Would the disciples soon be hanging from a cross too? Actually, the answer is yes. What they were afraid of is very true. All of those things. They would get in trouble if they decide to go out. And yet, tradition has it that every one of the apostles but one, John, eventually became a martyr for the faith. I mean, think about that. These scared guys, uneducated, their leaders gone and dead. Nobody believes he even existed or he was resurrected. These are the guys who go out and change the entire world that we're still talking about thousands of years later. Thousands of years later. But through the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the disciples came to a courage and determination overcome their fears. And that is exactly what empowered those disciples cowering in the upper room to all of a sudden go out and give their lives as they proclaimed His name to everyone that they met. They spoke out with such enthusiasm and vigor. They were accused of being drunk. I just love this passage because it talks about the fact that it's like, don't listen to them. They're already they're drunk. And the answer is, no, we're not. It's only 9 a.m. Wait till we get to the end of the day. I mean, I don't know why they even say that. It's only 9 a.m. Five o'clock somewhere. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? It's in your heads. They had this message to proclaim. The accusation didn't stop them. They had divine imperative, like an infusion of primal instinct of what they were going to do that drove them forward against all odds and no matter what, they were going to do it. The Holy Spirit had given the disciples a fire in their bellies that would not quit, that they wouldn't stop. They wouldn't keep going out and doing it even if it meant their lives. Or not even their lives, because that can be easy sometimes. But their torture. They were all tortured before they were killed. 
I'd much rather die than be tortured. Yet they wouldn't stop. And this Pentecost miracle always makes me wonder, how is God putting fire in our souls today? How is God putting fire in our souls today? As we begin to ramp back up and begin to to figure out what the church looks like in this new age. The words one of the songs, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God, right? Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. What? I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Is that what you want? More of God? To put that fire down in your soul that you can't contain, you can't control, and you're not even trying to because you want God to be active. Where are we when we're receiving and practicing courage? Courage is not about doing things and not being fear about being fearful. Courage is still doing things when you are fearful. It's getting up every day and going further. It's going to the next step. It's walking into the fire when you when you know it will consume you or you think it will consume you. Courage is making a difference. When does it feel like you are? The most courageous people in history have been afraid. And they've still done it. Because that's what it takes. Standing for what we believe the church needs to do and be in our world and what we need to do as Christians. Despite opposition, some United Methodists are stepping in dangerous places. They're risking their roles, their lives, reputations, their livelihoods, speaking on issues that are important to them. They believe they'll open up new ministry to people. And, and they do that because they have this courageous sense of the Spirit driving them and guiding them. And on this day of Pentecost, I pray that God will put more of that fire in our souls. Amen? That more than sitting on the premises, we want to be standing on the promises. That we care more about what happens outside of these doors than we care about what happens inside of these doors. We begin to switch our mindset back piece by piece to a world that's going to desperately need the church in all kinds of new ways. Billy Graham, that great uncompromising preacher, once in a revival meeting held in Los Angeles, shared a passionate message on the early church outlining what needs to be done for the church of the modern era at that time to become more effective. While many were moved by his talk, some Christians there criticized him. Imagine that. And they accused him of taking Christianity back by a hundred years. To which he is said to have replied, I did indeed want to set religion back, not just by a hundred years, but by 1900 years, to the book of Acts, where first century followers of Christ were accused of turning the Roman Empire upside down. Oh, for the first century fire and the passion of Christians. Where's our fire to turn it all upside down and to make a difference? To be known what we're for, not what we're against. To be the place people can come 
and be able to find solace, sanctuary, to figure out their faith and their failures. You see, God will give us necessary flame and it has the contagious power to spread and make a huge difference. When we say, oh, no, it didn't happen that way, look at the disciples, the apostles. I mean, they were able to go out, and that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, the apostles, and then spread people gathering in Jerusalem. Then, through the many languages out of the culture, it went into all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, its concentric circles, as it keeps going. And the church was born and the gospel of Jesus was proclaimed through all of that. And that was what happened on the birthday of our church on May in 1991. When two churches, Good Shepherd from Beach High School and Shepherd Hills from Rivergate, came together to start something that was new and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then in May 1996, they began worshiping in this very space together with a descending dove right above to remind them that the Holy Spirit bonds the church together. It's the central part of everything in this church. Bonds the beams from every corner, from every pew. And so now as then, the Holy Spirit is ready to set our heads and our hearts and our souls aflame. So the message of Christ can spread and grow because it can only spread through us. That's our job. We're given that power. And so I invite you today to open yourself up. Open yourself to that kind of power. Be willing to receive the miraculous power of God's Holy Spirit in in a new way. To be sure that we're catching on fire. That if it was all possible, there'd be a nice little flame that was dancing right over our heads to let us know that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit in the same way. There's a quote attributed to John Wesley, but actually he never said it. Even though you'll see it about 5,000 times, it says he said it. Even this graphic says that he said it. But I think he lived it out and it still holds true. And as much power, whoever said it. It's one of my favorite quotes. This is a version of it. It's on the screen. There's another version of it in front of me. Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. How do you change lives? How do you spread the gospel? Through your life. Through your actions. Through my words. Through my relationships. And sometimes, just through the fact is that somebody's watching you do something. Somebody's always watching you. You're always a leader no matter where you go because you're always leading people. 
You don't need a title to do that. You lead others. And your actions always lead others. So what will they see in your actions? Will they see the Holy Spirit alive and inside of you and your head and your heart and your soul? And they just can't, the fire can't be contained and can't be controlled and it just comes out of you like it did with the disciples and the people who are around them? Or are they only going to see you? I want more of you, God. Which also means I want less of me. I want more of you, God. I want less of me. So let us all catch fire on this Pentecost and the days to come. Amen. Psalm is 104, 24 through 34 and 35b. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. Those all look to you to to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. If you'll stand with me this morning as we sing together.
before I give these words of benediction, I want to thank Jerry and Nisla and for Sandy for all the beauty around us. And I'll be willing that for the praise team, for the bells, for uh, the um, trebles, for all those right now that are making the food for you because they had to peel out. Davis is already over there. She hasn't been there all morning. She hasn't even seen the worship service, I don't think, to make it all happen for all of us. And at the end of this words of benediction, I also just want to give a blessing over the food. Do not wait for me to show up to start eating. They tell you it's time to go. It's time to go. Hear these words of benediction. This is the prayer that's used in Aldersgate Day. Almighty God, in a time of great need, you raise up your servants, John and Charles Wesley, and by your Spirit inspired them to kindle a flame of sacred love which leapt and ran in inextinguishable blaze. Grant that all those whose hearts have been warmed at these altar fires be continually refreshed by your grace and may be so devoted to the increasing of scriptural holiness throughout the land that in this, our time of great need, you will may, fulfill, fulfill, may fully and effectively be done on earth as it is in heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we go into a time of fellowship, Lord, we bless this food. We thank you for being able to gather for those that can gather. We miss those who cannot. And we look forward to the time when we all shall be able to come together once again. And so we bless this food. And everybody said together, both here and at home. Amen. Amen. The mask broke. Please join me in singing our hymn of fellowship, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Troubles are going to sing one more, um, minister one more song for you.
I just realized I didn't tell you where to go. So it's outside. You can go through the gym and go through the back doors of the gym and go that direction, or you can just take the sidewalk and go out that way too and all the way down the drive. But the tent is right behind in the back. So that's where the tent is. That's where the concert is, where the food is. That's where the fans are. So it's all back there. You can't miss it. Big old tent. Hope to see you there.